Welcome to the premiere episode of Entertainment Geekly, your guide to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and generally awesome. I'm Darren Franich of Entertainment Weekly, and today me and my colleague Jeff Jensen will be discussing the big geek news of the week, including the new episode of Fringe, the controversial ending of Mass Effect 3, the trailer for the new Battlestar Galactica spin-off, which still might not happen, and of course the big news of the week, the film adaptation of The Hunger Games. With me uh, via the magic of the telephone is Jeff Jensen. Hey, Darren, how are you? Um, I, I'm doing great. Um, all right, Jeff, should we just get into some of the geek news of the week? Let's, let's turn to the geek news. All right, uh, first up, uh, we, we have a new episode of Fringe coming up. You've seen the episode, right? Yeah, this is going to be a, a great episode. I don't know how you feel about Fringe this season, Darren. Um, I've kind of had a uh, up-and-down relationship with, with, with the show this year, and I, I'm still re- really loving it, and I really admire the, uh, the whole creative construct of this sort of attempt to do storytelling and what seems to be a rebooted timeline, although there's, I, I, I've had some frustration with it. This episode that airs on Friday night, a short story about love, is is easily um, one of the best episodes of the season that brings some much-needed clarity. If you're really galvanized by the Olivia and Peter uh, relationship, it's extremely rewarding. There's some really cool stuff with the Observer, which represents the best way to deal with the Observer, to clarify but still remain mysterious and not be so blunt and um, maybe slightly cheesy as some recent revelations. I was, I was, I was going to say, uh, you were very skeptical about uh, the episode, which, I mean, was really the big observer, you know, reveal in some ways, where, you know, Peter sort of went into his brain and it was this beautiful screensaver room. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it seems like, I, I mean, it, it's weird to me that that wasn't more controversial, because it seems like part of the fun of them was always that, yeah, they were a little bit mysterious, and, you know, they weren't the kind of characters who, you know, suddenly brought you into a, a magical room of mystery and told you their entire backstory. I mean, do, do you think, though, like, if if Fringe does end this season, I mean, is there a sense that, like, are, are they starting to build towards an end game now? I think there could be an end to the season um, based on, especially this episode, you, you get the sense that Fringe is starting to point the ship in a direction of um, really satisfying emotional resolution and certainly some kind of big clarification point for its world. You know, unlike some other mythological stories, you know, I don't really kind of feel that there's, like, you know, like huge things at stake, massive mysteries that must be clarified that requires sort of of reams of story yet to be told. I I think that, I think Fringe can close itself out with, with, with the episodes that they have remaining here in the fourth season. That said, you know, the things that we're hearing right now, there's actually, you know, some encouraging signs that the show might be back next year, even for, you know, um, a, a half a season. So uh, I, I don't know if this is the end of Fringe, but I think it could be the end of Fringe, and it could be satisfying. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it, it's funny you bring up uh, endings that are satisfying, because uh, the next little item of news is about uh, Mass Effect 3, uh, the end of you know the what, what to me is really one of the defining video game sagas, 
uh, of this generation. And uh, there's been a real sort of anger about how exactly they chose to end the game. And, you know, without spoiling it for people who haven't played it yet, I just finished it off last night. I thought the ending was incredible. I mean, it really sort of, it frankly kind of left me, you know, sort of... uh, the best possible combination of being very emotional and being very sci-fi head-trippy. And it's interesting to see that, I mean, the, the anger and the hostility over the ending is really sort of interesting, I think. Yeah, you know, I think, Darren, in a future podcast or a future enter, uh, issue of Entertainment Weekly, we need to do a special report on how to make an ending. Um, you know, we've seen in the past couple years that, you know, ending things in pop culture, especially kind of like these long, winding, serialized epics or some kind of franchise, is, is, is the hardest thing to do, you know, sticking the landing and satisfying everyone. Every, you know, from, you know, The Sopranos to Lost, to The Killing, to Mass Effect now, uh, you know, this seems to be rather controversial. I haven't played you know, the game, uh, the, the, the third one, although I'm a huge fan of, of, of what they're doing, it seems to me that based on what I've read, you know, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it, just, it seems to me that this is one of those classic examples of a fan base that, you know, was looking more for more than just sort of an end to a story. They, they really needed a lot of emotional catharsis to round out what's been a, a, a pretty huge epic journey for them. Um, it also seems that, given what I've heard about how it ends, you know, a medium kind of running into the limitations of, of what it can and can't do satisfactory, satisfa- uh, in a satisfying way right now. You know what I mean? Like, how much, you know, the whole ending kind of hinges on this idea of Mass Effect as, like, uh, you know, a choose-your-own-adventure kind of story where, um, but it seems to me that here in Mass Effect 3, it's more like choose-your-own-nuanced ending, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know how much control do you really have? Um, do you get an ending that gives that allows for you know the best, most cathartic, most heroic kind of like you know thing possible, which is what you think you might expect from a video game series where you know you get to be the hero and save the day. You know um, um, this whole controversy is fascinating. We should devote a whole yeah, exa- exactly. And uh, well, and, and just, you know, but I, I do definitely think that you're on to something both in regards to the limits of the medium, but also just that, yeah, I mean, you know, with, with these long running stories and sagas and franchises, you know, there, there's a sense that, you know, how can they ever please everyone? I mean, this is why I, I, I really do think that at a certain point, Sopranos had it totally right. Just end in the most <laughs> ambiguous way possible. And even if we all complain about it, you know, there's there's a real sense of, well, maybe that's the only way to end something like that. It's just sort of in such a way that it leaves it a little bit open, but at the same time, all the answers might be there. Um, and, and, and to that end, Darren, I would also say that The Sopranos seems to be an ending that is aging well. That mm-hmm. was a controversial ending in the moment. I think that ending is aging well. I think that the ending of Mass Effect 3 will age well as well. I, I hope so. Uh, it, it's funny that, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, one sort of science fiction series concluding. Uh, uh, something something that just happened actually today, I don't even know if you've seen it yet, they released a trailer for the newest spin-off of Battlestar Galactica. Now, this, th- this series has sort of a strange history because, you know, there was the first prequel series, Caprica, which was very interesting and very sort of uh, almost 
more in this realm of deep think science fiction that no, absolutely nobody seemed to like. I mean, Caprica barely even had any viewers by the time it was canceled. This new series, Battlestar Galactica Blood and Chrome, seems like it's literally the exact opposite. You know, right in the title, there's this sense of we're going to bring the action back and we're going to have a lot more space battles. Uh, I don't know if, if you've seen the teaser yet, but it definitely looks interesting. I am sort of left with the sense that I don't know if I really need to see any more Battlestar Galactica at this point, though. Oh, fascinating. You know, yeah, I, I, uh, I watched that trailer this morning. Um, you know, my initial reaction after I got done watching it was I was reminded of when I first heard that George Lucas was going to make Star Wars prequels and loosely kind of what they may concern, uh, may, 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 may be about. And I, my head suddenly erupted with a torrent of, like, you know, wonderful geeky thoughts of, like, oh, my gosh, like, these movies are going to be filled with all of the money moments I've always wanted to see in Star Wars, you know, storytelling, like, just Jedi-like stuff going crazy all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, and, then it, um, and, and, and then it all worked out perfectly, and those movies were awesome, <laughs> and, you know, we, we never need to, uh, you know, say any, any different. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The, the, the Blood and Chrome trailer was like, it was, it, it was like, you know, it reminded me of that, of, of, of like, if, if, if you were going to tell a story about that was essentially a prequel to Battlestar Galactica that was just chock-a-block with money moments of everything that you wanted to see. Um, boy, that trailer seems to suggest that you're going to get it. Um, now I await for the possi- strong possibility of disappointment. Mm-hmm. But look, I, I got to say, based on that trailer, like... I mean, that, that looks pretty exciting, man. Definitely. Well, and I think we should also point out, too, that as far as prequels go, I mean, this seems to me a little bit more in line with uh, the Star Wars TV series Clone Wars, where it's very yes. specifically about a very sort of tense moment, a very, you know, a, a moment when we're going to see these characters at sort of the absolute craziest period of their galaxy's particular history. I mean, you know, again, I, I watched a lot of Caprica, and as interesting as it was, there was a real sense of... You know, like like with you know with the story of twelve year old Anakin, we've sort of gone back too far here. You know, like there was there is, you know, just because most prequels are terrible doesn't mean that a lot of stories from before the story can't be really interesting and really compelling. I mean, for me, it's interesting just to sort of see. Uh, for me, it was a real. I sort of forgot how much I enjoyed the Battlestar Galactica universe until I saw that trailer, you know? Even just the things yeah. like, you know, the, the, the fake shaky camera in the space battles yeah. and stuff like that. It really sort of pulled me back. I mean, pulled me back to a few years when the first show was on. That does bring us to uh, the big news of the week, which is that the Hunger Games movie is finally going to be released after what feels like a never-ending uh, publicity campaign. Um, now, now, you yourself have not seen the film yet, correct? You know, this is a great topic I'd love for, for listeners to weigh in in the message boards, which is like, you know, as, as much as I like to think of myself as a, a card-carrying ca- geek, I think all of us have these blind spots. I, I have exactly 92 of them. Uh, <laughs> uh, w- one of them is Battle Royale, and another one is The Hunger Games. Like, this whole, like, you know, like, lit phenomenon has somewhat passed me by. Um, my daughter 
um, is a is, is a huge fan of the books, and I've, I've talked with her to some degree about them, and she really, really loves the first one, so she's super amped for it. Um, you know, it sounds like exactly the kind of thing that I'd be crazy for, but I just have not, like, yet really engaged in it. Um, but, and I feel like I'm familiar enough with it that I'm really looking forward to the movie. I think I'm going to watch the movie and then read the book. Um, I think that probably maximum satisfaction of both will be gained from that kind of engagement. Um, but the big question I have for you, Darren, because I know that you've read the books and you've seen this movie, is, like, just from your take on, I'd love to know, like, you know, why does The Hunger Games matter? You know, like, why is this significant? Is this just another, like, young adult, like, you know, uh, exploitation moment, you know? Um, or does the Hunger Games have have something to say about um, our culture right here, right now? Uh, you know, I think that is a good question. It, it's especially an interesting question in light of the sort of nature of the movie, and you know, to me, the 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 difference between you know, writing a, a novel, even a young adult novel, and then, you know, trying to sort of translate that for a, for a, for a mass audience in film form. Um, you know, I, I am absolutely not against exploitation, and, you know, I, I will even defend, <laughs> I, I will even, you know, sort of, like, defend to death the particular breed of insanity that the Twilight books sort of uh, seem to kind of capture. But um, the, the, the most interesting thing about The Hunger Games to me is that, you know, when you put aside the sort of catchy aspect of the world that Suzanne Collins builds and, you know, e even just sort of this sense of these different districts and, um, you know, the, this, particular po this particular breed of dystopia is that, you know, she's said that the novel came out of a moment when she was watching television and was flipping back and forth between watching, you know, war footage from, uh, you know, the, the 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 Middle East and then watching reality shows. Yeah. And uh, you know, I I think that, you know, uh, even if it's not necessarily the oldest or, or sorry, the most unique story ever, this notion of, you know, people being forced to kill people for the enjoyment of the masses. I mean, you know, it, it goes all the way back to gladiator times and she's compared it to, uh, you know, the myth of Theseus and, and the Minotaur and obviously Battle Royale got there too. Uh, I think that what emanates from the books is a real fascinating sense of anger. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, there's, and, you know, I, I think on one hand, it's interesting to me to see that in young adult form because, you know, as someone who is no longer, who is, is no longer in my teens, I'm always sort of intrigued by, you know, what teenagers are like now and how these people who grew up in what seems to me a very different time period and, you know, with a very different circumstances and social networking and all of that than uh, the way that I grew up. I'm interested to see that they're reacting to this so strongly, but I think it also, I think it really taps into this real sense of, uh, frankly, I I, th I think I think the book functions as a real brilliant media satire, and uh, you know I'd, I'd be intrigued to see what you think watching the movie and then going into the book because you know the movie, to its credit, is you know it's it's a very fun uh, film. I mean uh, you know I think it does a good job of translating the story of the book into what essentially comes down to a sort of superhero origin story, you know? Like, you're very aware watching it that you're sort of watching the Spider-Man one that will lead into more things further down the road. But the brilliance of the book is that there's this sort of constant sense of Katniss as someone who has to sort of, like, play act, in a sense. 
Uh, and even when she's, you know, in the arena and she's sort of in the middle of the Hunger Games, she sort of has to play act for the cameras. And, she, you know, you're, you're sort of with her in the book because she's narrating and it's, it's narrated, uh, you know, in, in the present tense, which is the kind of thing that should seem pretentious, but here it seems very sort of thrilling and really has the sense of putting you right up, uh, you know, right up against her thoughts. And, you know, it's, it's hard because the second that they decide to not do narration, I think you lose that sense in the movie right away. You know, you're, you're sort of left with having to kind of depend on a little bit more exposition and a little bit more, you know, cuts away to people watching her on TV. So I, I think, uh, long answer short, I think the book is important because I think it captures a particular uh, sort of rage at, you know, this sense that we've sort of become a strange culture with our priorities a little bit out of whack. Um, but at the same time, I think it is also, I think it just taps into something that is key to all great exploitation, which is this very disturbing notion of, uh, you know, in this case of kids killing each other, which, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, I, 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 I'm kind of intrigued though, because, you know, I'm coming at this, you know, I don't, I don't have any, any kids. I mean, like, what's it like, like, what's it like for you as someone who does, I mean, like, do, do, do the books just seem so disturbing, like on, on the face of it? Like, is, is it, is it harder for that? Is it harder to read that kind of thing? I have no problem exposing my kids to the most extreme violence possible. Um, <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm trying to raise a legion of Katnisses myself. Um, no, you know, it's interesting. Um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to uh, ramble on about something, and the minute I become incoherent, Darren, just cut me off. Nonsense, okay. nonsense. Uh, this is, this nonsense. is a... This is a coherency-free zone at, at all times. <laughs> good, good. This is, that, that, that's good to hear. Um, which is that... Here's an idea I want to throw at you that, that's, that, that, that I'm reminded of when, when dealing with the whole Hunger Games idea, which is the gamification of everything in our culture, you know? And I'm wondering if, you know, Collins was kind of reacting to that, too, especially when she's flipping back and forth from things like war footage, which these days is so likened to kind of like, you know, video game stuff, to reality shows which, you know, has this remarkable creative propensity to turn anything, any part of our, our, our life and culture into game narrative. Um, and it seems to me that in an age of sort of geo-coaching and internet-assisted treasure hunts that are so fun and video games sort of being the language of youth culture, really, you know, um, the, the Hunger Games kind of really kind of zeroes in on this whole idea of games and gaming being, you know, the the defining narrative template, like, of our time for, for this generation. Um, and I think that for, you know, like, snooty, concerned adults like me, and maybe, like, you know, Collins and I are about the, the same age, I think we kind of view that kind of idea as a, as, as a possibly alarming prospect, you know, that there's something sort of inherently, like, dehumanizing uh, about all of that. Um, it's interesting, with my daughter, um, you know, she, like I said, loved the Hunger Games. Um, I don't know if she's, like, intellectually kind of wrapping her mind around the implications of the next two books, which, like I said, I don't know much about, but what she's trying to describe to me sounds a little bit um, tough for her to kind of, like, to engage with. But since becoming a fan of the Hunger Games, she loves to journal and she loves to write and she loves to turn everything into a game, even shopping. 
we recently kind of went to a, a, a big box retailer, um, and I, wa- I don't want to say what their name is, but let's just say that it uh, rhymes with Shmypea. And, um, and uh, okay, it's Ikea. And we went to Ikea. And, um, I wasn't, we I wasn't entirely Ikea. sure, you know. I mean, a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of Scandinavian uh, big box places out there. Exactly. But we went to Ikea, and we were walking around, and all of a sudden she con- like conceived this whole game called the Ikea Hunger Games. Where she kind of can, like she said, Dad, wouldn't it be cool if like me and my friends could like um, come here on a weekend and we could shut down IKEA for like a weekend and um, basically like play an elaborate like hide and go seek laser tag game in which we break up and bust up an IKEA. And I thought, well, you, you've just like um, uh, brought to life the ending of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Um, but um, <laughs> I, just, I found that was really fascinating. Like, you know, that, you know, it's like she concocted a whole game called the IKEA Hunger Games. But my kids are like this. My kids are totally kind of like in the young adult zone for literature. And, like, um, and they see the world in games. And I think that um, the Hunger Games kind of taps something like that for them I think I think you're uh, I think that, that that's very true and I mean uh, it, it, what, what you're talking about is obviously a very lofty concept but I, I think that it's possible to see that everywhere I mean uh, just for as example one thing that always struck me about this recent Oscar race is that you know people sort of looked at moneyball as being this real sort of triumph of the human spirit uh, you know kind of good good old-fashioned movie but uh, you know it's a movie about you know, looking at baseball players, the, the the kind of people that once upon a time I think we sort of looked at in this very sort of godlike Joe DiMaggio light, looking at them and literally reducing them to numbers and to statistics, and uh, you know, that's another another fun thing that the Hunger Games I think taps into is you know, it's not just about kids killing each other. There's the first third of the book is all about you know them sort of like showing off their stuff and like you know they're sort of getting sponsors and it you know again I I, I have no idea if this is Tension, but there's a real sense of you know that's sort of like the you know uh, the 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 draft trade deadline period before the game itself actually begins. It's funny to, to think about the trickle down of video games too, just because. I remember uh, I, I was reading this, this interesting article by Tom Bissell over, over on Grantland a few months back where he was basically saying that gamification had itself killed video games because it had created this strange environment for video games where every little thing you do is sort of some manner of achievement or some sort of you know direct way in which you're building up your ranking. And you know to the, to the extent that you know there's games like you know, Farmville, which to me seems, uh, it, it's not even really a game at all at that point. It's more just like a series of like things you're building up to show off to people. And that is, I mean, that is something that I think the Hunger Games taps into. What, what's interesting for me, though, uh, about seeing, you know, as somebody who read the books, uh, you know, late 2010, before the, the, real, the real juice for the movie adaptation started to build up, is that, you know, I, I sort of question how if a Hollywood picture can even tackle the sort of topics that we're describing now, because, you know, again, I, I saw the movie, and it's it's a very likable movie, and it's very fun, and I, I think Gary Ross did a really good job of just keeping, keeping it moving, and, you know, he made a lot of very judicious cuts. But there, there's a sense to me that, and I, I don't know if you feel this, that with the modern-day blockbuster, 
unless the film is directed by Christopher Nolan, it seems like there's sort of a ceiling for how ambitious it can be. And I, I, I sort of wonder if there's any way that what we're describing in the books could have even appeared in the movie. I, I don't know. I mean, like, do you think now as Hollywood is, is it playing it too safe or is there a sense that, you know, by if we have to please the fan base, then we have to keep it as focused on the books as, you know, as focused on the simplest parts of the books as possible? Yeah, I mean... Is, is the word you're looking for ambitious or subversive? You know, because it seems to me that one of the values you're zeroing in on in terms of what makes Hunger Games, you know, a little bit remarkable is that, you know, it's, it's, it's some kind of, like, counterculture text or themes kind of, like, it, it expressed in a, young, you know, in a young adult novel, you know. And so when Hollywood takes that kind of material and turns it into mainstream entertainment. Just, just how, how subversive and provocative and, and, and can, can, do they really want to be? Um, and I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. The, 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 you know, like, when I go down this road, I tend to feel my more cynical side coming out of me, and I don't know how... Oh, accurate, no! <laughs> I, don't know how, I don't know how accurate my cynical view of the world, like, really, really is. What I definitely feel, Darren, is I think there's a, there's a feeling in Hollywood of that, you know, simplicity is better. Simplicity is better. That, you know, in order to appeal to everyone, it, it, dumbing it down is like a harsh phrase, but it's like there, there is an almost panicky regard for complicated ideas, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and like, are people going to get it? Because the last thing you want to do is sort of alienate people with an idea that they don't get. Mm-hmm. Um, you want ideas that people can emotionally connect to. Emotionality is, is, is really important. And for you and I, that, you know, like, well, I'll only speak for myself, that kind of tends oftentimes maybe too much to err on the cerebral side of things. See this entire freaking podcast. Um, like, uh, you know, there's something a little, there's a loss there where, um, we kind of wish that, like, our entertainment can be suffused with more, you know, tricky ideas that we can, like, spend, you know, like, days and, and, and weeks kind of parsing through. But right, right. Well, I, I mean, that, you know, I, I think it's simple. You know, we want, we want good, well-made, popular, fun entertainment that will also challenge us relentlessly and leave us frustrated but equally, uh, you know, fascinated. I mean, that, that doesn't yeah. seem, you know, too, too hard to achieve. Absolutely not. What's wrong with that? <laughs> Um, well, I think uh, I think we've maybe discussed enough of Hunger Games uh, for now. Although I'm, I'm sure yeah. we could, I'm sure we could, I'm, I'm sure that uh, when you do see the movie, we'll have more to say about it. Uh, Jeff, to find something for me, Darren, before we cut off and end for the day, which is that like we've kind of gone down the well of headiness. But is it fun? Is yep. this movie fun? Yeah. Oh, is, is, is the film fun? You know, it absolutely is fun. And even I realize as I've been talking about it, it's one of those things where. I, I sort of I sort of feel like I, I, I give people the sense that I liked it less just because, you know, it, it was I guess the way that I would describe it is if you were to take um, you know, let's say Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, uh, and, you know, make Batman younger, uh, and make, you know, the ending a little bit less complicated and maybe make Superman his pal in the end. You know, like there's, it captures, I think, a a lot of the sense of the sadness of the world and it 
at, at, at moments it almost kind of latches on to the interesting, you know, media satire and, you know, Stanley Tucci is basically playing a version of, uh, you know, sort of a contemporary talk show host and his set looks exactly like American Idol. But I, th I think fundamentally this is a movie that's set out to please everybody and be fun. And I think that with that, you know, very difficult bullseye to hit, let's be honest. There's a lot of movies that, that aren't fun and satisfy no one. I, I think it hits that, and, you know, I, I, it's going to do very well. And uh, really, I, I'm just sort of left wondering what they're going to do with book three, because not to spoil anything, that is a dark, dark, dark book. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. So, so, so put, fun. Yeah. It sounds really fun. Yeah. So put that long explanation on a poster. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I think that about finishes us off for Entertainment Geekly this week. Jeff, do you have any, do you have any final thoughts uh, about the week ahead? Uh, the week ahead, you know, like looking, looking ahead, I, I think the Hunger Games is going to sort of like, uh, you know, dominate the public consciousness. But I'm looking ahead to television and, you know, how I define geek is uh, I, I can expand beyond just science fiction and fantasy. So my next week will also equally be devoted to the season premiere of Mad Men and talk about endings like The Killing Looms uh, a week from Sunday. And uh, maybe we can geek out a little bit on that next time. I hope so. So we have some, some, some good, uh, at least at least one good show returning to, to AMC soon. <laughs> maybe, maybe two, but at, at least one for sure. Um, all right. Uh, thanks a lot, Jeff. Uh, Thank and you, Darren. Thanks a lot for listening to the first episode of Entertainment Geekly. Next week, we'll be talking about HBO's Game of Thrones and Brian K. Vaughn's new comic series, Saga. If you have any thoughts about that stuff or any other potential topics or anything we talked about today, then you can find us on Twitter at EWDarrenFranich and EWDocJensen. We'll see you next week.